City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. You are listening to the Buzzer Beaters Podcast on the All Hornets Podcast Network. One podcast feed with multiple shows, making sure we cover the Charlotte Hornets from every angle. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. The All Hornets Podcast Network is affiliated with the Fans First Sports Podcast Group. On today's episode, Eric and I will be taking a deeper dive into the trade deadline that the Hornets had, given our thoughts on the moves they made and the outlook for the Charlotte Hornets' future as well. Without further ado, I'm today's host, Atticus Ferguson. And I'm your co-host, Eric Barnes. Eric, man, it's been a couple weeks since we've talked, and uh, man, so much has changed. Uh, the The win-loss column, you know, the L's keep stacking. The, the win column is probably the exact same, I believe, uh, since we last spoke, but the roster has gotten a whole different facelift, man. These are exciting times. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people out there, they don't really like change. Like, they're kind of resistant to it, but when it comes to the Charlotte Hornets, the way the season's been going, like a little bit of change is exciting. It's fun. We've got new players to check out for the rest of the season and uh, and hopefully a little bit more competence towards the end of the roster. Uh, we lost some good players, but we gained more players than we lost. So hopefully it's one of those things that maybe you didn't get the best player in the trade, but since you have more competent players, maybe that'll kind of raise the floor or ceiling, however you want to say it, for the rest of the season. Yeah, it's it's funny. I, I think I said this on air, and I know I definitely texted it to you, but after the Hornets traded Terry, what feels like a lifetime ago now, based on what all has happened since then, I told you, I was like, I'm addicted to selling at the deadline. You know, the Hornets every year stand pat at the deadline. You know, occasionally we get a Brad Wanamaker move or, you know, um, Montrezl Harrell. Before this year, I believe the most significant move I remember the Hornets making in recent years was – acquiring Montrez Harrell for half a season and, and moving out Ish Smith and Vernon Carey. So there's usually not a lot of exciting buzz. The Hornets will be in like a rumor or two. You know, there will be a Miles Turner or Andre Drummond connection that never happens. Um, if you know, you know there. But to see them finally actually do something, and really the, the theme, at least for me, you know, throughout a lot of this episode will be the fact that they're actually choosing a real direction and seem to have mm-hmm. somewhat of a plan formulated. And now they're taking actions and taking steps towards that plan. That's really exciting. And while it may not convey, you know, towards a bunch of wins in the immediate future, now that that's really the goal, uh, and, you know, stacking wins right now in kind of a lost season. You know, it really is exciting that they're really doing something uh, and acquiring assets that they can have a lot of flexibility with for the future, man. So uh, it was really exciting for me to watch. You know, I enjoyed actually checking my phone for the Shams and Woj notifications on trade deadline day, knowing that the Charlotte Hornets are actually going to do something. We're not going to sit by and be the, you know, there's the meme of Squidward in his house watching Patrick and SpongeBob run around and play, and he's inside missing out on the action. That's us as Hornets fans every year. Finally, we were a part of the action in some form or fashion. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because I feel like from a broader scheme of the NBA, it was actually one of like the more like kind of not as exciting deadlines. Like there was no real star players being moved. But as people that follow the Charlotte Hornets and all the Hornets fans out there, like this is the most exciting deadline. Like maybe like, ever you know at least five ten years um so it's one of those things while the rest of nba fans may be like like this deadline was whatever hornets fans meanwhile are having more fun than they've ever had this time of year so like you said it was definitely fun to be a part of the deadline for once and i think we we have to give kudos and thanks for some of that entertainment to the new owners because i think if michael jordan still at the helm we're not seeing the Hornets tear down the team like this to try to build something new and hopefully better. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. It was one of the most objectively boring NBA trade deadline days that I can remember. But as a Hornets fan, it was very exciting, especially because we're not used to getting any real news uh, on trade deadline day that impacts us directly. It's like unless you were a fan of the Hornets, the Knicks – or the Pistons, which I'm not sure if Pistons fans are happy or not, but they sure were active. 
unless you were a fan of one of those three teams, there, there wasn't much going on. I mean, I guess, you know, Dallas got PJ and, and, you know, we'll get into that. But outside of that, you know, you were looking for big game, big names like DeJounte Murray, who, uh, you know, is, is going to stay put where he's at. Uh, so there, there wasn't that big splash, but tell you what, Eric, you and I and uh, a lot of the listeners here had some fun. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, that's what matters most here. Yeah, I mean, who cares about those teams out in L.A.? Who cares about those teams out in New York? It's all about what's going on in Charlotte, North Carolina. What are the moves being made there? And are they putting us in a direction of hopefully having a vision of winning some basketball games in the future? And call me crazy, maybe call yourself crazy, but we think they may have done that. That's right. That's right. Well, that well, let's get right into it, Eric. You know, much much has been made about the moves the Hornets made. Uh, on trade deadline day, Gordon Hayward's out, PJ Washington's out. We'll get into the guys that have come in. Overall, would you say, I'll open it up to you, would you say the Hornets, quote unquote, won the trade deadline? Not in, not in terms of the whole league, but just in general. Of course. Um, as simply as I can put it, I will say yes. I will say they did win the trade deadline. And now, I don't know how much of that is going to correlate to wins in the future, but. If you look at what they gave up, they gave up Gordon and PJ. Gordon, really talented player, doesn't play half the time. If you're not available, you can't be, but so valuable. So we we ship out Gordon, and then in comes Trey Mann, who really hasn't had a ton of chance to play this year on kind of a loaded OKC team, especially at the guard spot. Um, and then we also get guys like um, the, the point guard the, the, from the um, EuroLeague who – what have the Hornets needed forever? Some backup point guards, some depth back there, because we basically had LaMelo and, you know, whatever new random guy they're kind of plugging in to hopefully, you know, fill that void for a little bit. So really Trey Mann is what I'm excited about with that OKC deal. He's shown flashes. I mean, he's had triple doubles in the NBA. He can fill it up from three. He can put pressure on the rim. He's got a couple of highlights out there of absolutely posterizing people, which – you don't really expect that of a guy his size, you know, when you just look at him. But you turn on the tape and, like, he really does have some crazy dunks in his uh, highlight tape. So, overall, I'm happy. I'm really most excited for, at least with the OKC trade, to see what Trey Mann becomes. Because you see the quotes from Damian Lillard. Uh, I think I've even seen some stuff from Dwayne Wade about people, you know, stars that have been in the NBA. They really believe in his talent. And they think, hey, once he gets into a situation where he's getting legit playing time, that he's going to end up blossoming because, you know, the, the guy can really play. I mean, he, his handles, he, he can really, you know, he's got that thing on the string. He can knock down threes. Uh, he can get to the rim. So with extended playing time, I'm really excited to see what Trey Mann can do. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I would agree with your assessment of the Hornets, quote unquote, won the deadline with the moves that they made. One thing I wanted to throw out as well, just uh, to kind of clarify or add on to what you said, I didn't realize this until today, actually. Um, Charlotte also sending Dallas a 2024 second-round pick and a 2028 second-round pick along with P.J. Washington. Um, so they did give up more than just Gordon and P.J. They gave up those two picks as well in that trade. Again, that was something that wasn't really – Well, I, I think what happened was is that the Hornets got two second-round picks from OKC – and then mm -hmm. they shipped those second-round picks. I don't know if the, it was those specifically, but then they shipped two second-round picks to Dallas in the P.J. Washington. Trip. So I know from OKC they got a 2024 second and a 2025 second. I'm not sure, and we we should probably know this, but the I'm not sure if the 2024 from OKC was the one that Charlotte sent to Dallas or right. if that was their own or if that was one they had acquired in another trade or another move in the past. Um yeah, that's a good point. Oh, I've got to sneeze here. Um, never mind. Live, live <laughs> no, if it happens, it happens. But, um, yeah, no, I, I would agree with your assessment that Charlotte made some strong moves there. Um, yeah, you've got, you know, from OKC, you've got – I'm going to try to pronounce his last name, and I may botch it. It's Michic, I think, mm -hmm. uh, former Euro League MVP and former Euro League Final Four MVP. Uh, so we'll see what materializes there. You know, he's not going to you know be the sexiest acquisition, but maybe he can find a role in Charlotte. Uh, obviously, a, a, a low risk acquisition there. If it doesn't work out, you move off from him, and it's not really going to be, you know, looked at as a devastating blow if that doesn't work out. Davis Bertans, 
Uh, and Trey Mann, obviously, is kind of the, the quote-unquote sexiest name from that trade. Yeah, like you said, you know, there's uh, there's that Dame Lillard clip that's been circulating uh, talking about Trey Mann and, um, you know, some of his potential. I, I think it's interesting with Trey Mann, you know, when you come from a team like OKC that's contending and has title aspirations, a lot of times people would say, well, he's going to go to Charlotte and he's going to be so bummed out. But I'm going to get into this with everyone the Hornets acquired. I think he's going to be really energized because while, yes, going from – the Thunder who are contending for the top seed in the West to the Charlotte Hornets who are the basement dwellers in the East. doesn't sound great on paper. Trey Mann's going to have a much bigger role and a much greater opportunity to prove himself mm-hmm. uh, and show what he can do in the league. So I think he's going to be really energized for this. This is a much greater opportunity from an you know, individual standpoint for Trey Mann and Charlotte. So I think he's going to be really energized to showcase what he can do. Bertans, you know, not getting a ton of playing time in OKC. You know, maybe you would say he's not, thrilled to be going to Charlotte. He's a pro. You know, he was on Washington recently. He's played on bad teams before. He knows how to handle himself. I don't think he's going to be the guy who's going to come in and pout. Um, and something we haven't touched on yet as well with the Dallas trade, Grant Williams and Seth Curry. I also think those are guys who are going to come in energized. Grant Williams, we saw the reports that he was kind of rubbing people the wrong way in Dallas. Um, so I, I think a fresh start will be good for him. Obviously him and Seth Curry both from Charlotte as well. Um, so I, I think the homecoming aspect, you know, there's some comfort there. Uh, yeah, I think really the fresh start will be really refreshing to him. And I think that's going to be something that he was going to cherish. He's obviously going to have a bigger role in Charlotte than he did in Dallas. Uh, and you know, I think Seth Curry will be energized to, you know, getting a larger role, playing in front of his hometown. Del Curry, you know, is doing the, uh, the broadcasting for Valley. I think it's just a good fit for him. I think he'll be excited to play for Charlotte. So I don't see any of these guys coming in and being, bummed out and hanging their heads that they're coming into Charlotte like a Kyle Lowry would if if the Hornets were going to force him to play, which I you know I expect them to buy him out in the next day or two. By the time you're listening to this, it may have already happened. So, you know, I, I think these are – I say all this to say I know these trades were made in the long-term view, but funny enough, I'm seeing a lot of people writing, you know, the, the rest of the season, yes, it's going to be very tough to get through. And, and, yes, it is. I'm not saying the Hornets are going to become the Showtime Lakers all of a sudden. I actually think – these acquisitions are expected to play the first game. Um, by the time you're listening to this, it'll be tonight against the Grizzlies. I think this is going to make the Hornets a lot more fun to watch this year, and they're going to be a lot more competitive. Kind of what you and I were just talking about before we started recording here. You were kind of mentioning that this gives the Hornets a lot more depth, a lot more legitimate NBA players to come off the bench and play meaningful minutes. I think they're going to be a lot more fun to watch this year. I think you're going to see them get hot at times, and you're going to start to generate some excitement and some buzz for next year. Um, I mean, what do you, what are your, I know we're going to focus a lot on the future here, but real quick, what are your thoughts on how this impacts the Hornets this season from now until the end of the year? Yeah. And I think I may have touched on it briefly earlier. Like I'm really excited to see these guys because the way I look at it, okay, you lose Gordon, you lose PJ Gordon wasn't play hasn't played in a month anyway. So we haven't been watching him regardless. And even when he has been on the court, it's been one of those things I think for a lot of Hornets fans, they kind of viewed it as, okay, yes, Gordon's a nice player, but he doesn't fit the timeline. He's not in the long-term plans, which proved to be true because he got traded. Um, So it's one of those things where you don't really get excited to to watch him because what sports is about, what a lot of sports is about, specifically for fans, is hope. And the hope train with Gordon Hayward had sailed. Like, he's too old, he's injured, he's a good player, but we're not winning, doing any serious winning right now. So, like – Watching him play well, I was like, okay, cool, like, good game. But, like, there was no, like, light at the end of the tunnel, if you will. You bring in Trey Mann, who has a chance to really solidify himself as the backup point guard. And, and really, with LaMelo out, which who knows how long he's going to be out, he's going to get a, a chance to play a lot of minutes for the Hornets. Um, and then with Grant Williams, I remember going back to the summer, um, it was kind of the debate of, you know, are the Hornets going to pay P.J.? Are they going to sign Grant Williams? And that was a legitimate debate. And and I could have been swayed one way or another on that one, depending on, you know, which angle you take. Um, But the fact that the Hornets traded PJ and then a couple of second round picks got Grant Williams, got Seth Curry. So you get the the nostalgia of a Curry returning to Charlotte. And then on top of that, you get a first round pick that's only top two protected. Like, yes, do I think PJ is a better player than Grant? Sure, like by by just a smidge, just a little, like his numbers are better, but 
Grant Williams has been on the Boston Celtics. He's been to the Eastern Conference Finals. He's been to the Finals. He's been on winning teams. He he knows what it looks like. What does Grant Williams bring to the table? He's like a gritty, like toughness type of player. And if you leave him open, he can make you pay from three. And the Hornets don't need four to five guys on the court that are trying to, you know, maximize their stats and like, you know, kind of show that they can be like the guy or like the second or third guy. They need guys that fit into roles. Like we already have, the Hornets already have their two top two players in LaMelo and Brandon Miller, who are guys that are going to be the guys moving forward. Now you need to kind of fill in around them. And I think Grant Williams is kind of really the perfect type of player to fit in around guys that, you know, where he, he can really affect the game, but he's not got to be the number one or number two option when it comes to scoring. He really affects the game in different ways other than just putting the ball in the basket. Yeah, I mean, to touch real quick again on the on the Gordon trade, the the Hornets very easily could have sat on that contract for the rest of the year, let it let it expire, got his money off the books, and not taking on any new money, and just said, "Hey, we're gonna have this, uh, we're gonna have this cap space to play with. We're gonna let him walk, let him do whatever he wants to do, you know, part ways as friends, so on and so forth." But I I think it's noteworthy that you can extract something of value for Gordon. I mean, the reports were saying there wasn't much of a market for him. I remember reading a Rod Boone article right before the deadline saying there was one Western Conference team that now we know was the Oklahoma City Thunder that was interested in him. So the the fact that you could extract something of value without taking on any major long-term money is meaningful. You know, with man, maybe you find a diamond in the rough, a young player who was kind of buried on an uber-talented OKC team. Um, who can come in and be a, a big contributor long term? Uh, you have him for cheap. You've got his bird rights. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of pros there. And if nothing else comes from the other acquisitions from OKC, you know, as far as the players go, you've got draft capital, which we know you know you can use that as designed. And you know, it's a second round pick. It's not the most valuable thing in the world, but maybe you find a diamond in the rough. You know, the Hornets found Devontae Graham in the second round, right? You never know what can happen. But also, again, like we saw at the deadline. You know, any sort of draft asset can be used in trade. So, you know, they've got a lot of flexibility. They can get creative with what they do there. So if nothing else, if all three of the players flop, you know, you've got tradable salaries with those players. You've got draft picks that you can, you know, use or, again, throw in trades. So there's some different things that you could do there other than just, you know, having Gordon Hayward sit fall off the roster and then have that cap space. The only benefit right. you would have to do in that is just, again, the cap space that would open up as far as, uh, as far as Grant goes though, Grant Williams specifically, you know, there's been a lot of comparisons to him and PJ because they were traded for one another. And because, you know, during the off season, there was buzz that the Hornets may be interested in Grant Williams. You know, the Mavericks were linked to uh, PJ Washington in the summer. It's funny that they end up getting traded for each other and each, you know, end up on the other team midway through the season. But, you know, I, I think with Grant, you kind of know more of what you're getting on a night in and night out basis. Not to say his performance won't fluctuate at all as, as any player's performance is going to, you know, PJ probably has at least offensively a higher ceiling, right? Like we know PJ is due for two or three nights a year where he's going to be unconscious and go for 40 and take over and be a primary scorer. But we also know PJ, it's a roller coaster, man. He's very streaky. That's been the knock on him. You know, offensively, he's always been very streaky. You know, and while he's a versatile defender and gives you a lot of, of different options there, that's what really gets you frustrated as a Hornets fan that's watched PJ since he enters the league. You know, his three point numbers have dipped throughout the past few seasons as well. So I just think you're getting, you know, you're getting more stability and you know what you're getting with Grant Williams. And I think that's a big thing there. And, you know, with him and Seth Curry, a big thing too that I think you can look back on in a couple of years and say is that the Hornets got you know not only just veterans but they got some veterans who could fit in a culture, um, and these could be some really savvy moves. We always talk about getting the right guys in the locker room, and the Hornets maybe haven't had the best character guys you know on and off the court, in and out of the locker room, uh, and they haven't built the you know the most sustainable winning culture. And I think these are guys who could you know produce or be helpful to, to kind of build that culture that we've been looking to build uh, and have been so desperate for in the past few years. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's something with Seth Curry too. He obviously is a great three point shooter, but the way I view him in this deal, like 
he's kind of that vet in the locker room is the role that I kind of see him playing out to be like, he's, he's just going to be that guy in the locker room, that older guy who's been around, you know, he has ties to Charlotte, obviously Dale. Um, but it's one of those things that I can see them like wanting to keep him for the next two to three years, just to be that guy on the bench that, you know, when you got young guys trying to figure it out and, and find their way to the NBA and really establish themselves, he's a the guy they can go to because he's been in the league a long time, you know? So I kind of see that role for him. Um, and, and really something I want to touch on too, getting that first round pick from Dallas um, in 2027. So if you look at it, now the Hornets will have their own first round pick in 2027. Then they'll have the pick they got from Miami, which is a 2027. If it doesn't convey uh, in 2027. So if Miami's in the lottery that year, then it's a 2028. And then you have the Mavericks pick. So like, whether the Hornets end up making those picks or not, what they've done, they've given themselves flexibility. And those are, you know, two, three years down the road. So you can still add talent in the draft this year and the following year and kind of see how that organically grows, kind of like OKC has done with their core. But sooner or later, maybe they don't make those picks. Maybe they get to a point where they're like, okay, maybe we're just one player away from really making some noise in this league. And once they get to that point, they can flip some of those picks for a star player because not many players out there are going for more than three first round picks. And I think the max I've seen has been five. So even at that point, even if there was a scenario where the Hornets gave up five first round picks, the fact that they have three in one year, even if they had a trade like that, it really wouldn't hurt them from an asset standpoint that big, especially if you're adding a big primetime player. So, Really, in a nutshell, what the Hornets have done at this deadline, in my opinion, has just given themselves flexibility moving forward. They know, obviously, they're not in it this year. You know, maybe with some growth, they can be in the mix next year for a playoff spot. But the way I'm viewing it, they kind of see this as like a, you know, of course, they would love to to do well next year. And I'm sure that's going to be their goal. But I kind of view it as a two-year timeline. Now, Hornets fans listening to this may not be excited because we're tired of losing. We want to see them win. but the truth is the core that the Hornets had just wasn't good enough. Now, some of that was injuries, but at a certain point, you got to be honest with yourself and reset. And hopefully LaMelo can continue to get better. Hopefully he can get healthy. Hopefully Brandon can continue to grow in his game. And hopefully Mark can get healthy. You add a top five pick to that in this draft and you get healthy and maybe Trey Mann hits and, and you have different guys like that. In a year or two, you may be looking at a totally different situation and if you do end up, if guys do make the leap and you do get things right and you do start winning games, well, in the next year or two, you have all these draft picks coming up that are super valuable, and then you can use those as assets to add to the talent to your roster. So from that standpoint, I think the Hornets did a great job. Now, if you just look at the players they brought in, yes, they brought in some some decent players, some nice players, no stars or anything, but it's the flexibility that they get long-term that is really where the Hornets won at this trade deadline. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the draft pick they're going to have this year as well. That's something I was going to hit on it, uh, if you didn't bring it up. Is that you look at all the picks they have coming up, and it's like, shit, this year, the Hornets are going to be drafting probably top five. The Hornets could have the first pick in this upcoming draft. So, you know, you add that player to the mix. I know people aren't, you know, as in love with this draft class as they have been in years past. But that, that, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. The, the year right. LaBello got drafted – you know, people didn't love that draft. And you got Anthony Edwards, Lamelo, Halliburton. I mean, that ended up – Turned out to be one of the better drafts in recent memory. So, like yeah. – and that that's the funny thing with the draft. Like, every year there's narratives around it and, like, it's a great draft or it's a bad draft. But the truth is, like, you're not going to know until two, three years down the road, like, exactly how great a draft was. And while this is seen as a down draft, especially if you have a top five pick, it only takes one player to make that pick, like – to turn into like, oh, like maybe it was a bad draft, but this player turned into an all-star, and that could very well happen with the Hornets. Now, Another thing, too, is that people may view it as a weak draft class because maybe there's not a ton of like franchise players right. out there. And even if they're right, the Hornets are actually in a weird spot where they're not winning a ton, but they also aren't in desperate need of going into this year's draft and finding a franchise player. You have Brandon Miller. You have LaMelo Ball. 
you know, with Lamelo's health, you know, it puts in question if it's going to be Brandon Miller's team, Lamelo's team. Oh no, is the Hornets have two guys that you know, if only one of them were on the team, you'd be saying, hey, this is the guy you're building around. So they're not also in need of you know hitting a grand slam where they find the guy that's going to be the franchise player for the next 15 years in this upcoming draft they just need to land a really nice player who can play alongside Lamelo, brandon miller mark williams and uh you know potentially miles bridges but before i uh jump to um further into the draft assets part there's a couple more points i want to make i do want to take a quick break here and talk about allhornets.com this podcast, as always, is brought to you by AllHornets.com, a credentialed Charlotte Hornets outlet powered by Sports Illustrated. AllHornets.com's aim is to bring you 360-degree coverage on all things Charlotte Hornets. From breaking news, rumors, fan Q&As, and in-depth analysis, AllHornets.com covers it all, and nobody does it better. All right. A couple more things I wanted to hit on in terms of the draft capital the Hornets acquired and some of the kind of narrative that comes surrounding that, you know, a lot of people get really deterred when these draft picks aren't in the very immediate future, right? You know, you get a 2027 pick or 2028 or whatever the case may be. And I understand it, right? Obviously when you have draft picks, you want to be able to add those players now, especially, you know, like we've, we've talked about. Hornets haven't won in a while. I don't want to wait until 2028 to add some great player who's in, you know, middle school or high school right now or whatever, right? But at the same time, I think people are really – and, again, we've already talked about the fact that they can use those in trades and that can happen more immediately. I think people really don't appreciate or understand the value that these picks have. If you're paying attention on the trade deadline day, there are so many future draft picks sent around. While you, the fan, may not find that 2027 first-round pick to be very valuable, the GMs do. You know how I know that? Because they're sending them around in big trades. You know, they're being sent around and players are being moved and these these things are being attached as assets to make these deals happen. So these things are valuable to teams here. So, again, whether, you know, obviously we're impatient as sports fans and more so as Charlotte Hornets fans because we haven't seen winning and we're so desperate for a winner. We don't want to wait around that long, but – these these assets are very valuable to have at your disposal for the front office. Mm-hmm. You know, if if they're talking to other GMs around the league, they're not gonna they're not gonna be sitting here and talking like a fan saying, mm, "Well, oh, God, geez, I don't want to wait till 2027." A first round pick, you know, whether it's in 2027, 2028, those are very valuable for those other GMs because again, they may be saying, "Well, I'm gonna flip this too." So. You know, I, I kind of want to debunk that whole it's so far away, it doesn't matter narrative. Obviously, these GMs find it valuable. Otherwise, they wouldn't be getting moved around. And, and you know, it's it's kind of a weird thing because the Hornets could sit on, you know, maybe a 2027 first-round pick, and they're not going to trade every draft pick they acquire. It is kind of a weird balance you have to strike because you have Lamella Ball. You have Brandon Miller. You know, you don't want to sit around and sit on your hands and wait too long to start building a winner and building momentum on the court around these guys, right? Like you don't want to tell them, hey, wait three more years, we're gonna draft this guy, and then we're really gonna go all in to try to win. You know, you don't wanna you don't wanna be too patient and then let your stars grow impatient. At the same time, you don't wanna jump the gun, go all in too early before you're ready to win, and then you uh, you kind of reach your ceiling as like a nine seed. Right. Like the then you kind of end up like the Atlanta Hawks when they trade for DeJounte Murray. Like Murray, great player, Trey Young, great player. But even when they made that trade, and I think it's played out to this point, like, yeah, they're a nice team. They can be fun to watch. But what is their ceiling? The, the fifth seed, the sixth seed? Like, you're not really moving the needle. Uh, and that's something that in the past, whether it's been DeJounte Murray or even Rudy Gobert when I've had – People tell me, oh, the Hornets need to, they should make this move, like, or, or they should do this. It's like, yes, it's great to get good players, but like the ultimate goal is to win the championship, hopefully. Like, I'm not just hoping for, you know, a, a playoff series and getting bounced and, you know, I'll be happy forever. Now, don't get me wrong. I would love to see the Hornets in the playoffs, but the ultimate goal as someone that is covers the Hornets and follows the Hornets, I want to see them reach the mountaintop. And, I'm not shooting for mediocrity. So and basically to your point, I, I don't think, you know, moving a couple first or making a move too early, like you got to have some sort of vision when you're building a team. And I think I, th- I mentioned it briefly early in the episode. And I think that's what I like about these new owners. It seems that there is a vision that they're building towards. Yeah. I mean, 
they're clearly an asset acquisition mode. I think they're going to continue to be an asset acquisition mode. I think in the off season, you'll see them acquire some more assets and move some things around. And like we keep saying, you know, provide more flexibility for themselves um, moving forward in the future here. But yeah, I just, you know, I, I can't fully blame some of the fans who are kind of, I guess, short-sighted is how I would say it when, you know, they're throwing their hands up and getting frustrated. And it's like, Oh, you know, we're, we're not winning now and you know we're just moving these guys and acquiring stuff for the future and you know, what's the point and and I, I get having a lack of hope because what have the charlotte hornets done historically to give you hope but at the same time people have to remember, like we've been saying these are new owners they're coming in with a new vision and a new plan and there's no track record to come in and say hey you know they've proven that they can do it here like i'm not I'm not going to give them the total benefit of the doubt because I don't know how they operate, but the fact that they're at least coming and trying to give a different approach and try to do something different other than running the same iteration of the field Hornets out there and banking, excuse me, banking on luck that they're going to stay healthy and reach some sort of new heights. Like, you know, we've got to give these guys a chance. And again, I know how hard it is. I mean, we are Hornets fans. We've been here. You know, I know we're pretty optimistic, but we're, we're, we try to be as realistic as possible too. Like, I get it. You know, being told to sit around and wait while they you know make these future moves, it's not the prettiest thing to do. It's not the most exciting thing to do, but it's just so much more exciting than what we've done in years past or what we've seen in years past where, you know, the Hornets just sit on their hands and they don't do much. And it's like, they just are, are waiting on luck to break their way. They've had that sum in the draft lottery, you know, with Brandon Miller and LaMelo ball, but eventually you, know, you have to have some fortitude in the organization and the front office to say, hey, here are the moves we're going to make to dictate our own future. you got to take your future into your own hands at some point and stop waiting on luck to come to you. And I feel like that's what they're doing. And and we'll see if they're successful. Like I said, you know, we don't know if they'll execute the right moves and make the right personnel decisions and contracts and all that. They're off to a good start, you know, acquiring the assets to make the big moves. But they'll really be judged, and time will tell, you know, how this front office and how this ownership group is judged based off what they do with all these assets. But first thing you got to do is you got to acquire the assets to make the big moves. So we'll judge mm-hmm. them off of that. But so far they're putting themselves in a position to make moves. We can actually judge them upon, you know, in the past, we just judged the ownership in the front office on their inactivity. Now we'll get to judge it on actual activity. Right. Well, and the great thing for the Hornets too is, you know, really when Mitch initially took the job, I mean, the Hornets had absolutely no talent. The good thing about this retool or rebuild or whatever you want to call it, you have two obvious building blocks with LaMelo Ball and Brandon Miller. And when Mark Williams gets healthy, as far as his upside, could he be an all-star or whatever, he's got a long ways to go to get there. But he's at least like he's going to be a decent center at the minimum. So, like, you have your point guard. You have your small forward slash shooting guard, two or three. The NBA is so positionless now that I'm not the type to get all caught up on that. Um, but now, like like you mentioned earlier, you have like your franchise guys in place. So, like, if you hit on another draft pick, that really kind of moves you forward, propels you forward big time. But there's not as much pressure as there has been in the past of like, okay, we just don't have any talent at all, and we just need to get any talent we can get. Obviously, the Hornets need to continue to add supreme talent, but there's building blocks there where it's easier to see the vision compared to looking at, you know, it's almost like looking at your pantry and there's nothing in there. Like, you know, right now they got a couple of snacks, you know, so maybe some Pringles or or something like that in there. You know, there, there's something to work with. There's some ingredients there. And if there's a vision on how to build around them, then, you know, maybe in a year or two we're, we're having a totally different conversation Instead of the trade deadline with us talking about, you know, what's to come this summer, maybe we're talking about the playoffs. Maybe we're talking about the play-in. But ultimately, we'll just have to see how it all shakes out and and see how it happens here in the next calendar year. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny. Mitch Kupchak, who some people were saying, oh, he saved his job. I I still don't think Mitch is the GM next year. There's been those rumblings about – him stepping down or being placed into like an advisory role. I don't really know where that stems from. That wouldn't shock me if that's the case. Um, and also wouldn't, it, it kind of makes sense to me too, because the fact that he's being retained through the deadline kind of shows me that they're going to, you know, help. They're allowing him to kind of help facilitate the future. And then they're going to put him in that role. Could be wrong. I'm not saying that that comes from like a good source or anything, but that's just kind of my thoughts on it. And we've heard the rumblings about the advisory role, but 
he's always had that approach of you got to build through the draft. You're in Charlotte, you got to build through the draft. And I've agreed with that to a degree. I think you have to build your core and get your stars through the draft. But, you know, to, to bolster the roster and strengthen the roster and add depth to the roster, you've got to be able to go out and acquire that through different avenues, whether that be trades, uh, free agent signings, uh, you know, buyout market, you know, the different um, you know, avenues you have to acquire talent in the NBA. You can't be so solely focused on acquiring skill solely through the draft. I think obviously that's been a big emphasis, and I agree that that's been the way they should acquire the stars, and you know they have done that with Mark Lamelo and Brandon Miller. But I, I like that these this ownership group now is putting themselves in a position where they're still going to be able to, if they choose to, to get some talent through the draft. But at the same time, they can go out and they're going to have some cap space to sign guys. They're going to have some assets to make some trades for guys. So it's not going to be so like. There's not going to be so one such a one-dimensional approach to building a roster here. Right. Um, one other thing I did want to touch on too, and it's not necessarily totally related to this, but there's also the skepticism of, well, you know, there's these draft picks here. If the Hornets keep them, and I'm kind of all over the place here, but you know, the Hornets will just draft a bust anyways. I want to dispel that a little bit. I know since the kind of the Bobcats days, the Hornets and the Bobcats, you know, Charlotte's been very prone to drafting these guys who haven't really panned out. Since Mitch Kupchak's come in, he's been far from perfect, but I'll give I'll give him some credit. He's done relatively well in the draft. What kills him is the 2021 draft. And if you have a terrible draft like that, it's going to hurt you. When it really kills you is when, like I said, when you're one-dimensional – and you're so reliant on the draft to build your team. If you have a terrible draft like the Hornets did in 2021, that sets you back so far. That sets you back so many years if that's how you're planning to build your team. But I will say at the same time, you know, there's probably going to be a new GM that's going to be coming in and making the selections. But the Hornets also haven't done as poor of a job drafting in recent years as people lead you to believe. You've got, I believe, Miles Bridges was the first selection Mitch Kupchak made hit I, I i think he was drafted over sga i get it you'd rather have sga over miles bridges but at the end of the day it's a crap shoot in the draft and unless you took miles bridges over uh, a lebron james type or something it's a crap shoot and if you land a really solid player i think you did a good job so that's a hit pj washington's another guy who say what you want i know you get the ups and downs that wasn't a loaded draft around where, where the horns drafting that year I, I don't recall anyone being drafted after him who was like a total slam dunk so mm-hmm. P.J. Washington, pretty solid job there, um, considering the fact that there wasn't like a home run there to be selected. You've got uh, LaMelo Ball, where some people, yes, the Hornets had luck there moving up to three in that lottery. And some people will say, well, you know, they, they, they'll just attribute that to luck. But LaMelo Ball wasn't a given at three. Uh, Anthony Edwards was the number one pick, obviously deservedly so. The Golden State Warriors, one of the best, one of the most well-run organizations in the NBA, Passed on him and went with James Wiseman, who's not even on the team anymore for Golden State. So Lamelo wasn't a, a guaranteed thing at three. You know that t- that took some conviction, some conviction, and took some balls to select him. They hit there. Brandon Miller. There was the Scoot Brandon Miller debate. You know where I stood on it. I know where you stood on it. They took Brandon Miller. So far, that's worked out incredibly well for the Hornets. So to give the Hornets a little bit of credit, they've drafted much better in recent years than people will give them credit for. But like I said, they've been so one-dimensional with that being the focus on building the team. You know, they've kind of failed to build a, a deep roster. They've also had the injury luck, obviously, which has really plagued them. Uh, but again, if you had a deeper roster, you'd be able to withstand some of these injury spells. Uh, maybe not some of the most ridiculous ones, but you'd be able to withstand and shed some water during these injury spells better than they have. So hopefully they're going to be in a position to do that now with the direction they're going in. Yeah, and and during that segment there, you mentioned Miles Bridges and selecting him, and he's been a hit. So one of the last things I want to touch on here is Miles Bridges and the fact that as we sit here today, he's still a Charlotte Hornet. And based off reports, signs kind of point to him coming back. I want to know, what did you think of that? Did you prefer the Hornets move Miles Bridges? Are you happy he's still here? And it kind of seems like he's going to be a part of the future. Where do you stand on the Miles Bridges situation? Yeah, I can't believe we haven't talked about Miles Bridges yet. I'm so glad you made a point to touch on this before we get off here. So uh, the whole Miles Bridges situation, I, I like that he's staying first and foremost. 
you know, I don't know. I, I didn't really see much about the packages that they were going to get. I, I saw some things that they were asking for from, from Phoenix. I don't know how much you were going to get from a contender on a half season rental of miles bridges. Well, but, and the reality is with the contenders is that most of them have already, you know, dumped their draft capital. So like, if you're talking about a legitimately talented NBA player, like, most contenders don't have much left to offer at this point. Like all their picks are like four or five years out. So that was another thing. Like Miles Bridges is a legitimately talented player, like at his best a borderline all-star. So like you're not just going to give him up for scraps, which that's one reason that I'm glad that, that the Hornets kept him. But sorry for interrupting you there. Go, no, go ahead. Good. If, if they were on re-signing him, then I'm still okay with them giving him up for scraps because if you're not going to re-sign him, obviously you're going to give him up for nothing. So obviously, if there was completely no intentions of signing him or re-signing him this offseason, yes, move him. What's happened? What's transpired recently clearly indicates that there's at least some level of interest in him re-signing. There's been reports that the Hornets are likely to re-sign him. I think Miles, you know, ultimately when him and Rich Paul came out and said that they would decline any trade and he wants to stay in Charlotte, I think there's a few things to that, right? Uh, and we won't know definitively, but I, I have a couple kind of theories on that. One, first and foremost, I think he wants to stay in Charlotte because I believe he wants the Hornets to re-sign him. The Hornets re-signing him doesn't even necessarily mean he stays in Charlotte long-term. Although mm-hmm. I do think Miles mm-hmm. Bridges has legitimate aspirations uh, and would like to stay in Charlotte long-term, I think the biggest goal is to have the Hornets sign him to you know probably a four-year contract this offseason. From there, they could do like they did P.J. Washington and move him next year at the deadline. They could sign and trade him and move him this offseason, and he can never play a game for the Hornets again after this season wraps up. But I think the biggest thing is that they knew that the Hornets would be the most likely team to re-sign him, and you know, obviously him staying in Charlotte you know, would make them more likely to re-sign him. So I think that him and his, his agent, Rich Paul, viewed that um, – you know, as the best avenue there. But I, I do think as well, uh, on top of that, I do think he legitimately does want to stay in Charlotte long-term. This is, you know, this is where he was drafted. Like he's mentioned, the Hornets stuck with him through all of his off-the-court issues. He loves playing with Lamella Ball. You know, they play well together on the court. You know, they're they're like best friends. So I do think he really loves it here. It, it's worth mentioning too. I don't know all the details of like his family life. Obviously, there's been a lot of turmoil there, but I know his – you know, ex-partner, the the mother of his children is still local. His children are local. I mean, that's a real factor. You know, staying close to your family, staying close to your kids. I'm sure, you know, he he seems to, you know, I don't want to get into judging the way he's, you know, been a father with all the off-the-court stuff, but he seems to definitely have an interest in being present in his children's life. That's for that's for certain. And right. you know, the best way to do that is to be close to them. So I, I do think that's that's a big thing as well. So I think ultimately – his end goal would be to sign a long-term contract in Charlotte and stay here. But worst case scenario, the Hornets sign him to a long-term contract and move him, and then he still gets paid big time uh, and then gets somewhere else. So that, that was kind of my takeaway from it. Right. We'll, we'll no, talking. it's funny because we haven't even talked about this off air, and so I'm just hearing this from you for the first time now. But I've also been of the same mind. And, again, this is just a theory. Like, I don't – this is not sourced or anything like that. But I do feel like when Miles and Rich Paul, when they look at the landscape of the NBA, it's like, who is the team that's most likely going to give me the most money? And the reality is, it's the Charlotte Hornets. Um, Not only because, you know, they can't really afford to lose talent, right? Because the Hornets need more talent. Everyone knows this. Um, They have stuck with them through everything. Um, But they're going to have cap space. And also, now that they didn't trade him and get any value for him at the deadline – they're going to be that much more motivated to give him a contract. So like you mentioned, whether that's staying in Charlotte or maybe trading him in the future, you know, it's all about assets. Like this is, there's a portion of the NBA that's like the stock market. It's about, you know, managing your assets and, you know, selling high or getting assets and letting them play for you to help you win games. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head that, you know, at the minimum, the Hornets are going to pay miles. I do think there is part of him that does want to stay with the Hornets because he does like playing with LaMelo. He sees the vision with Brandon Miller. He recently said, you know, Brandon Miller is going to be not just be good. He's going to be great. And you hear players talk about other players, you know, from time to time. And they're like, oh, yeah, he's good. Like, he's really good. You don't necessarily hear a lot of players all the time 
say, oh, this player is going to be great. And if Miles really believes that and he thinks, okay, LaMelo had the one, he can obviously play. Brandon Miller, like his arrow is only pointing up, so he's only going to get better. And then I can slot in at the three. And then you have PJ and Miles who are kind of redundant at times. Um, well, PJ is gone now. So, like, Miles can kind of be that, you know, third guy on the team, at least for now, pending, you know, draft picks or acquisitions or whatever. Um, but, but no, in a nutshell, I just think that Miles Bridges, he, the most likely place he's going to get paid is Charlotte. And if he stays with Charlotte long term, he's cool with that. He, he can see the vision at least a little. Uh, but then in the future, he gets traded and his money situation is figured out. And he's good to go with that because the reality is if he gets traded this offseason, that team is probably viewing him as like, okay, we can kind of require this guy. Does it cost a lot? Maybe he can help us win this year. But, you know, if he's going to a contending team, they don't really have a lot of cap space to really pay him a ton of money. So now the Hornets resign him in the future. Maybe he gets traded. Who knows? But either way, I'm happy to see that the Hornets are looking at resigning him because like I just mentioned, the asset management in the NBA is of the utmost importance when it comes to GMs, front offices, and how to make moves to become a better basketball team. Yeah, the the one pushback I'll say, I think the Hornets are maybe the second most likely team to give Bridges a big payday behind Detroit. Detroit's been linked to Miles Bridges for a very long time. You know, they've been a young team. They've been devoid of star power and devoid of talent. And they're going to have a ton of cap space this offseason. I don't and, – and that's where Miles Bridges is from. He's from Flint, Michigan. I don't worry about Detroit snatching Miles Bridges up maybe as much as others would. Detroit's going to have a lot of cap space. And the situation where I would envision Detroit snagging Miles Bridges from Charlotte is if they massively overpay him to the point where Charlotte's just saying, hey, you know what, we're, we're not matching that. I'm sorry. I think if Detroit's willing to pay a little bit more than Charlotte, I think he would rather stay in Charlotte. I think if they're going to sway him away, if they're going to you know swoop him away, they're going to have to give him a substantial pay raise over whatever Charlotte's offering. Uh, I don't see them doing that necessarily, unless they just become desperate. And at that point, you know, Charlotte, it would suck to lose him for nothing. But you know, don't compound a mistake and don't you know get in a desperation off with the the Pistons, but. You know, I think another thing I wanted to touch on a second ago that I forgot to mention is that Miles gone to Phoenix, let's say, right? Obviously, he's in a on a winning team, competing for a title. But you know, Miles is coming off of a forty-one point game and a game. Miles isn't doing that in Phoenix. Like his value on the open market is going to go up much, much more in Charlotte when he's putting up big stats on a bad team versus being a role player in Phoenix. Sure. You know, his market then in the offseason to contenders as a role player would be very interesting, but he's not going to get that lucrative deal it seems like he wants. So, um, Right. Well, and here's the thing with role players on good teams. Their absolute ceiling of the money they're going to make is probably about $20 million. So if he goes to a winning team and he's just playing a role, when he hits free agency, a lot of front offices would maybe just view him as a role player. Well, to re-sign in Charlotte, the four is probably $20 million or at least in the neighborhood of $20 million. So when it comes to money, it Charlotte just made the most sense for miles, I think. And then yeah. everything else, whether he stays, whether he goes, all that will be figured out in due time. Yeah. I think he'll, I think he'll get around four for 80, which is what the Hornets offered him uh, the off season before he bet on himself and was about to cash in big time before he screwed up off the court. I think he'll end up. I actually that. think that was four for 60, if I remember correctly. I think it was 15 a year back then. Okay. Okay. Either way, I could see something around there. But my last my last thought on Bridges is, you know, if you're a fan who wants him gone for the off-the-court reasons, totally respect that. I'm not going to argue with you for a second. But the reality is, you know, guys who can go up and score 40 points a game and have Bridges' skill set and, and, and a guy you draft and develop yourself, for a team like the Hornets, I mean, those those guys don't grow on trees, man. Like it's it's really it's been traditionally. We'll see maybe if it's easier in the future with the the new owners, but it's been pretty hard for Charlotte to acquire a talent like Miles Bridges. So when you have one like that, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, this is, I think this is a big reason why they've stuck with him through all the off the court nonsense. Is it's been really hard for Charlotte to land a talent like Miles Bridges, and when you have it. You, I mean, you, you tend to have to cherish it and mm-hmm. you, know, you take 
PR lashing, but you're kind of in a situation where you, you kind of, I, I, it, feel, it feels like you got to hold on to that guy. And well, and, like and, here's, you. and here's my bottom line on Miles Bridges too. Like he's a talented basketball player, but when you have a talented basketball player, say at the minimum publicly multiple times, you know, I love Charlotte. I want to come back to Charlotte. Like, Charlotte at this point in time can't be in the business of being real picky of letting go talented players. Like if you have a player that says, Oh, I want to stay in Charlotte for the long term. I love Charlotte. And he's a good basketball player. If you don't resign him, then like, I don't know what you're doing. Like trading him for end of first round picks a year or two, whatever may be away. When it comes to miles bridges, I don't think you can do that. Especially if he's saying he wants to return PJ, who kind of saw it to more of a role player. I think that makes more sense, but Someone that's capable of putting up 40 on back-to-back nights, uh, you just can't let a guy like that, you know, walk out of the door. It's 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 very rare that someone with Miles Bridges' talent is saying that they want to stay in Charlotte. And I know part of the reason why he's probably so eager to stay in Charlotte has to do with the fact they've stuck with him through the off-the-court stuff. But even before that happened, it seemed like he really had a genuine interest in staying in Charlotte. So someone who is as talented as him, who has – you know, so much of an interest of staying in Charlotte long term, you've you've got to value that. So uh, there, there's something to be said for that there. But Eric, unless you've got anything else you want to touch on, there, I think that's about all I've got for today. This was fun. Uh, I, I've enjoyed the Hornets actually being active and real uh, direction. And again, this will be uploaded Saturday, so the day you're listening to this, uh, it'll be Jared Wallace Appreciation Night. I'm stoked to get to the Hive to watch that. I'm be wearing my Bobcats gear. Very excited to, to honor Crash, and, and uh, it'll, it should be – I know it's pending physicals at the moment. It should be the debut of all the guys from OKC and Seth Curry and Grant Williams. So I'm really excited to see how those guys will play in their debut, and I'm excited to get kind of a fresh look for the rest of the season and continue to watch Brandon Miller ball out and, and uh, you know, see how the rest of the season goes. There, there's a little bit more of a reason to tune into the Hornets and be excited, and uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to the, to the Grizzlies game. Yeah, at this point, I mean, obviously Brandon Miller is still like, you know, the big show, right? But now, we like for me at least, like I have an interest in Trey Mann. Okay, Trey Mann with extended minutes, what does he look like? Can he be at the minimum or backup point guard of the future, if you will, in quotations? Um, what is Grant Williams? How does he mix into this roster? Does he bring a toughness this Hornets team needs? So, yeah, even in a season where the Hornets says we record this sit at 10 and 40, like – I, I'm still finding reasons to tune in and, you know, hopefully some stuff to bid on in the future. That's right. And like like we said earlier, hopefully they're going to, you know, show some signs of growth and some signs of, of you know, potential and uh, kind of get us excited and looking forward to next year. But, uh, all right, that'll do it for today's episode. Eric, this was fun. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. See you then.